action. Welcome to Talk Stubs, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcasts at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk, and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We continue our deep dive into Quentin Tarantino's films by watching Jackie Brown, his 1997 thriller. Jackie Brown is an air stewardess, played by Pam Greer. And she, Foxy Brown. Foxy Cleopatra. That was actually Beyonce. Yes. Uh, and Jackie is in a spot of bother because she has just been caught with $50,000 in her purse and along with a bunch of cocaine. And um, now that she's been caught by the heat, a.k.a. Michael Keaton. <laughs> You're so streetwise, Joshua. <laughs> the now, mean streets of Cambridge. Now that she's cut some heat. Um, she has become the target of um, Ordell, which is, who is played by Samuel L. Jackson. But she turns the tables on him, and that's what the film's about. <laughs> <laughs> you told me not to write these down, so this is what you're going to get. Brilliant. Um, so the main thing that strikes me immediately with this film is that it's not even set in Quentin Tarantino's world. It's set in our world. Uh-huh. It doesn't feel like a Quentin Tarantino movie. No, that's that's something that I noticed really early on in the film is that it's really kind of naturalistic lighting. It feels real. It doesn't feel heightened. Yeah. People are still talking a lot, but they're not necessarily as cartoonish as previous characters have been, I think. They're not jive talking. They're not talking fast. They're not talking about seemingly mundane things. There is a plot and it is moving on. The dialogue is pushing it on. We don't just stop to hear someone monologue. Yeah. Like this, this, is, is, this is the first film that he's adapted from a book. Yes. And I, that's clearly why yeah. it feels this way. It, it, it's, it's not a writer's film. This is very much a spotlight evenly across all of those departments. Yeah. And it feels like... Tarantino's come to a place where it's almost like a well-oiled machine. He doesn't feel the need to show off with that really kind of ebullient, over-the-top dialogue or, you know, everything in the film feels like it's serving the story. Yes. Like right down to the musical choices, right down to the economical way that he shoots things. The opening credits are just Pam Greer on a travelator. Yeah with that tiled background and that amazing 110th Street song. Yes. And it's not showy or anything. It just kind of gives you a real insight into just the character and like a a really lovely introduction to the character. It's very traditional. It is, Which is bizarre for Quentin Tarantino because he is anything but. Yeah, but this is the first Tarantino film where the violence is truly kept off screen. And it feels like the most mainstream and accessible version of a Tarantino film. Um, you know, Eve, uh, so a character, what's her name? I always keep forgetting her name. Melanie. She gets shot off screen. Yeah. Um, the guy in the trunk gets shot off screen. Yeah. Yeah. Also off screen. Um, well, not off screen. We just, he's so far away. At it's a such distance. a wide 
Yeah, it's yeah. a great distance. Yeah, so it feels like Tarantino appealing more to a mass audience, which is really bizarre. Purely... Pulp Fiction was such a huge cultural thing. Well, there's that, but also this is his love letter to 70s black exploitation, mm. which is as niche as you can really get without yeah. throwing in porn or, um, you know, really f- out there genre stuff. Do you feel? So, do you feel this one feels like a director for hire is directing the film? Um, I don't think so because it still feels very much like Tarantino. It, it still, Does it? yeah, absolutely. Like what? Oh, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the grammar obviously later. Yeah, but it still is very specifically about um, characters who are, shall we say, on the wrong side of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah criminals um it's you know it has that that dialogue that he loves it has the music i think it's just a different side of tarantino i don't think that he's just doing it for the money i don't think i don't feel like he would ever really do that no he's too specific person yeah he's too specific in curating his own it's almost like when you when you're trying to build your DVD library, he's building his Tarantino library, yeah, and that's why every single film feels feels like such a specific choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's because of the time it came out, 1997. Was that was that a time when censorship was particularly strong, or? But I, don't I think, but so. I think the there lack of incredibly violent films, yeah, in well, the, it, throughout the 90s, Basic Instinct. Um, Face Con off, air, face off, yeah, all of these. Anything it, with Nicolas Cage, in. <laughs> well, just incredibly violent films. A yeah. year later, Safe and Private Ryan would come out. This was the year after Scream, which is obviously after incredibly. Scream, violent. The Matrix would be two years after. Yeah, so maybe I, I mean, I do feel like it was actually Tarantino's choice to limit the violence. Yeah, um, don't really know why. I guess the story didn't necessarily require it. But, I mean, but all you the... missed the violence because his violence. Even mm. in the early days, was quite stylized. Yeah, not as stylized as it would become. I'm thinking Kill Bill. Yeah, and Django. Yeah, I think more. It's more of a relief, especially watching one after the other. Yeah, after watching two films where a, a number of characters are soaked head to foot in blood, <laughs> yeah. it's actually a bit of a relief to get to this one with bits of skull hanging in their afro. Yeah, exactly. And it's not their skull. Yeah, although it's the fact that you know it's Tarantino has a weight in itself without needing gratuitous violence. So the scene where um, Jackie Brown goes home having been bailed out, you know that Samuel L. Jackson's character is going to come and knock on her door because you've seen him do it to another so-called rat yeah. earlier in the film. So you well, know it's not that's necessarily coming. someone who could <clears throat> potentially be a rat and he's just... Um, Stopping it short. Well, yeah, he's you know eliminating the threat. He's cutting off the limb before off. it withers, yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so you know you've seen films with Samuel L. Jackson riddling people with bullets. That's him now telling oh, me. He's going to knock at the door. He's coming, knock he's at coming the around. door. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there is still that sense of there could be awful violence because it's Tarantino. And the fact that it doesn't happen um, actually doesn't really matter. I, I don't know if you've answered my question. Did you miss it? Did you, you you said that when no, with, I didn't. with Quentin Tarantino there's almost like an expectation. Yeah. Do you feel that it fell short of your expectation? Was he at that place where, you know, when you see a QT film, you want to see, you expect to see some gratuitous violence? Yeah. 
I don't think I did because we very quickly realised it's a different animal. As soon as Pam Greer has the gun pointed at his dick, yeah, you're like, ah, oh, right, he's okay, it. he's flipped it now. So whereas in a previous film, she probably would have had the shit beaten out of her. Yeah. Or she would have blown his brains out or something like that. To some like pop that. song. Yeah, to some extravagant pop song. Mm. She actually figures out she's one step ahead of him. And that's when you realise, ah, so it's going to be a, a, almost a game of cat and mouse. But it's, it's actually the heist film that Reservoir Dogs wasn't. It actually shows us a heist and it is very clever. Yeah, and that is the crowning achievement of this film. Yeah. Because up until that point, it's very traditional. It's very linear. One thing happens after the, the next and we see it in the order that it happens for the characters. We don't jump back and forth. Mm. It's not until we get to the the money switch yeah. that we actually start jumping back and forth. And a little bit like Rashomon, we see we see the events on three or four different perspectives. Yeah. And it's very clever because it, each perspective obviously gives you a new piece of information. Yeah. But the first time, the first perspective we're in is Jackie Brown. Yeah. And that's when she leaves a second bag of money in the changing rooms mm-hmm. and tells the, the very bored girl on the desk, yeah. oh, someone's left their towel bag in the, in the room. And you're like, fuck, what is she actually doing? Like, yeah. you have no idea what her plan is. And that's a really lovely feeling because mm. you're like, what's actually going to happen? Like, like, well, he's like Reservoir Dogs. He's drip mm. feeding us information, yeah. which is maybe what was missing from Pulp Fiction. Because even though we were watching three separate stories, each of those stories, when you actually start that individual story, is told in a linear fashion. It's only later that we jump back in time because we've jumped to another story. Yeah. But in Reservoir Dogs, we are drip-fed information, and that's what happens in this Jackie Brown sequence. Mm. Yeah, and it's so clever. I loved it. It was... Still not entirely sure I understood the whole thing. <laughs> but, I, I, I fully got it. But yeah. even though that is the crowning achievement, I still feel that is quite restraint for Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. Anyone else, it's like an adventurous film. But for Quentin Tarantino, it's almost like he can do this sort of stuff in his sleep. Mm. And I wonder if he was kind of bored by this point. Because he takes a six-year break after this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder, I don't know, because there is a chance this film could feel cosy, um, especially because the characters are a bit older. You know, Jackie's 44 and um, the bail guy, uh, Cherry, he's 56, I think. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at characters that are a little older than the characters that he has had as main. Although maybe that's not true because Mr. White was, you know, in his 50s. But most of those people in Reservoir Dogs were yeah. in their 30s. Yeah. But I don't think Jackie Brown feels cozy because you never feel entirely safe you never feel that jackie is necessarily gonna come out winning because there's always a bit of a risk well there's always the threat of death threat of death threat of prison yeah um yeah she's got it you know she's in between a rock and a hard place yeah on one side she's got odell and the other side she's got michael keaton yeah in sandals <laughs> yeah. and short sleeve and short shorts and short yeah. shorts short shorts yeah. i got short shorts you got <laughs> short shorts the first time i saw this i think it was my favorite tarantino film yeah same yeah. i used to really like it because again i haven't seen it for about 20 years yeah and i've always had a really really good memory of it because i think 
I didn't particularly like. I, I mean, I, I generally de- definitely didn't particularly like Pulp Fiction back in the day. Mm. I think it's warm to me as the years go on. But back in the day, because Jackie Brown is so different, I think that's what I really responded to. Yeah. And it's just a, a well-told story. You genuinely have no idea where it's going to go. Like when she, when she flips the table on um, Ordell, that's less than an hour into a two and a half, two and, yeah, two and a half hour film. Yeah. Um, and you're just like, well, where the hell is it going to go from here then? Yeah. And also, I just think that Pam Greer is just fantastic. Oh, she's amazing. And you just want to watch her. You just, just you compulsively watch her. Well, she's a combination of um, the, the sneakiness of Odell mm. and the danger of Odell mm. and the calm, controlled nature of Max Cherry, played by Robert Forster. The yeah. brilliant Robert Forster. He's so good in this. She is the combination of those two. So she's... The best it's, of both. Well, it's, yeah, but she, it's right that she's in the middle of those two. Mm. He's so calm, Robert Forster. Yeah. So calm, doesn't blink. Yeah. He's like a, a rock. And Odell is, is, well, he's Odell. He's got that fucked up hair. Yeah. And that weird, hair. like that horrible chin, chin thing, chin yeah. ponytail. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, it makes you jip. But off. he's so. He's showing up. He, he's, he's in like, control at, uh, to, to, a, to a degree because yeah. he's taking the matter into his own hands. But he's not clever. Yeah. He's, he is a bully. He's a, he swaggers around. He's a, yeah. yeah, he is a bully. He wants everyone to think that he's incredibly masculine and clever. But it's, it's hilarious that um, Bridget Fonda as Melanie, who's just kind of not really his girlfriend, but just hangs around in his house. Yeah. Like she... She doesn't respect him. She doesn't respect him either. And she's like, he's yeah. an idiot. She says, you know, he's just repeating stuff he's already heard. Yeah. And she doesn't pick up the phone or she goes, yeah. hello, it's for you. Yeah, immediately. It's for you. And then she lets Robert De Niro's character fuck her. Yeah. What is he doing in that film? It's so... It's such a nothing role. It really is. And he's actually really good in it. Well, when he's he allowed plays to it, be. When he plays it convincingly and he has little mannerisms that are great. Um, but he does nothing. He... Sits and watches TV. He fucks yeah. Melanie, if that's her name. He sucks on a bong. Then a he lot. dies. That's it's, not actually, a role for Robert De Niro. I, I just yeah. wonder, did he look at Harvey Keitel and go, Harvey Keitel's been in Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. I want a bit of that. But that's not a role that you give to Robert <laughs> De Niro. If anything, it should have been... The other way around. The, the Samuel L. Jackson role. Yeah. But Samuel L. Jackson is to Quentin Tarantino what Robert De Niro was to Martin Scorsese I'd actually forgotten that that character even existed in the film like when it first started I was like wait a minute oh yeah Robert De Niro's in this film what the actual huh it's I think it's the start of Robert De Niro's downfall when he became the late Robert De Niro when he stopped (laughs) giving a fuck when he because this is 1997 yeah by 2003 he was doing the, the analyzed films, that wasn't he and yeah like he done, yeah, he was he, already parodying himself well before that he'd done the adventures of rocky and bullwinkle oh yes when um, he was like are you talking to me <laughs> but he does have that great role in stardust as captain shakespeare as the cross-dressing pirate that was actually pretty good but yeah it's, that was his, his steady decline all the way to like machete and, and the Warburton advert that and, just came out recently. Which is just, you could sleep through that quite But that's easily. a really good performance in that, that, fit, that advert. 
Well, he's just playing much, his old self. Yeah, exactly. He's play, he's not playing fucker, sucker the trust fucker. Yeah. Was he in um, American, what's it called? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? I with, don't know. With um, Bradley Cooper. There's so many films called American something, I can't remember which one it is. Which one? American Pie? No. Pie fucker. Can't Silver remember. Linings Playbook. Yeah, that guy. I think he was in there. He was in um, New Year's Eve. American Hustle. He wasn't in oh, it. Oh, yeah. He was in, he was in American Hustle like, oh, yeah, in he was. flashbacks. Victor, as, tell you. As a gangster. Yeah. But no, he's not Small. done anything. If you took this performance and you isolated it and you compared it to his portrayal of the young Don Vito in The Godfather Part 2 or um, Taxi Driver mm. or even his weird cameo in Brazil... Yeah, it doesn't hold a torch. It's just him sat sat down for most of this fucking film. <laughs> it's like he's the new Marlon Brando. Yeah. I won't learn my lines. I won't. I won't stand up. <laughs> I but no. Let's go back to to uh, Pam Grier because she's the one that is. She's just so great in this film, and yeah. I. But it's almost like this was such a great role for her that she couldn't possibly follow it up. So after this, she went back into. Shit. Doing shit. Yeah, like... Uh, Doing uh, utter shit. John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Yeah, exactly. Um, but she was also in... Pluto Nash, for God's sake. Um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Was she? She's the teacher that reveals herself <gasps> to be uh, Rufus. Oh, Rufus. my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know until I read it this way. He gives uh, it as well. <laughs> <laughs> Here's me thinking like I know everything. Yeah. But she's like... She doesn't necessarily feel like a Tarantino character. Because she doesn't shoot her mouth off. She's, no, she she's quite she's, reserved. She's incredibly reserved. When she's talking about how difficult she's finding life, like that kitchen scene between her and Max Cherry, yeah. just after she's put on that amazing song, she's almost whispering. She's so quiet when yes. she's talking about her experience of life. But if this was a Quentin Tarantino original, which it's not, it's, it's a, based on the book Rum Punch by... Yeah, um, Elmer Leonard. Yes, if it had been a Quentin Santino original, she would have been a, a jive, quick-talking, mm. cool cat. Which but is what she not. played already before. Yeah. In I all mean, the 70s the, films. The, uh, you know, she's the, the original. So it's weird that she's playing against time. Isn't she like, here. I'm a whole lot of woman? Well, that's Beyonce again. No, it's not. But Foxy Brown is Foxy like, Brown, yeah. Yeah. She should have inspired. It was easy for him because he didn't believe it was coming. But you better believe this one's coming. (laughs) I think the tagline is "She sugar and spice, and she'll put you on ice." Uh, Do you know what? The only reason I know Pam Greer, yeah, is because Loretta Devine's character in the two urban legend films idolizes Pam Greer. So I only really know her films through her watching them in Urban Legend. Yeah, but it is strange that she is almost like the basis or part of the genre that is the basis for a lot of Quentin Tarantino's yeah. love of cinema. And yet she's playing completely against type. Yeah. She's not, she's not honoring her past. Quentin Tarantino's honoring her past by putting her in the film and having the film be this, this weird mesh of black exploitation and nineties thriller. Yeah. And yet she's the only one who's not. Yeah. But I almost think she's better than, that and Quentin Tarantino. She's, she brings such emotional depth to, the, to everything. For the first time but, in a Quentin Tarantino film. Uh, I don't know. Mr. White. There's, there's a little bit of depth there compared yeah. to all the other guys in that, that yeah. warehouse. But she brings a genuine real life worry. Yeah. And it's a real life worry. It's not a Quentin Tarantino world worry. It's a, 
They'd say, I'm in my late 40s. I've got to start all over again. I can't do this again. She's 44. And that's terrifying as a 35-year-old. I'm just like, shit, I'm actually almost the same age as Jackie Brown. Yeah? Oh, God. You're not as funky as her. Oh, I wish I was. Yeah. I can listen to her music as much as I want, but I'll never be that cool. Um, did you know that... Um, I, loved, I just love this fact because it's hilarious. So this is based on the Elmer Leonard book. Yes. When Tarantino was 15 years old, he was grounded by his mum because he shoplifted an Elmer Leonard book from a Kmart. It wasn't this one, sadly. It was the Switch. Yeah. But I just love the fact that he was shoplifting a book by Elmer Leonard and then eventually bought the rights to, <laughs> to a book. It's almost like he made yeah. up to it. Yeah. <laughs> made and up for it. The Michael Keaton character also appeared as Michael Keaton playing the same character again in Sonnenberg's whatever version of oh, whatever Elmer thingy or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Sonnenberg held off from um, casting anyone until he'd seen who Quentin Tarantino had cast oh. and then he cast the same person. Oh, clever. But there was a bit of a legal issue that Miramax owned the film rights to that character oh, shit. and that visualness of Michael Keaton playing him. So... Uh, Universal were going to have to pay Miramax a sizable sum hmm. to have the Michael Keaton version of the character in their film and Quentin Tarantino said no let him appear for free oh wow so there's some consistency yeah that's the thing that I do love about Quentin Tarantino is that he is such a big fan of film yes he just fucking loves films and he luckily at by the point, by the time this film got made, he is able to be that guy. He's so powerful. Oh, he had a lot of clout. He is so powerful. He could step in and just say, guys, don't be idiots. Like, just let him play the fucking character. Harvey Weinstein used to call Miramax the house that Quinton built because uh, Pulp Fiction was so insane. It was a yeah. massive turning point in Miramax history. Mm. After that, they would do Shakespeare in Love, Chicago, all the big Oscar films. Yeah. Before that, they were pure indie. Yeah, yeah. They became the leaders because of the money and the mm. acclaim and the status that Pulp Fiction gave them. Yeah. Gosh. So if, if that's the kind of level that Pulp Fiction is taking a company to, you can imagine how high regard, highly regarded Quentin Tarantino was held. Mm. Why does Max care so much about Jackie? I think it's pure kind of lust in a lot of ways. Like when he first sees her walking towards him mm. in the shadows and that music starts playing, it's almost like the meet cute from a romantic comedy Yeah, where he just see, <laughs> he sees her and just has an instant desire for her. Um, I think it's probably as simple as that, to be honest. I don't know if there's anything more deep and meaningful in it, is there? I don't think it's love. No. Because the film's too grounded to have something as... He suddenly as fantastical as that. Yeah. There's clearly a, a, a um, mutual respect that develops between them. Yes. And I think that he... Um, I don't know, because he, his job is, help, is bailing out, literally, criminals. And maybe he just sees something in her that is different to the criminals that he has worked with. 30,000 or something. Yeah. Like 13,000 criminals so over like, 20 years. Yeah, like she's a criminal through desperation. You know. Or not actually, maybe not. Or, or yeah, maybe through desperation. Because she's bringing the money through, but she didn't know about the cocaine. No. Because she's like, what's that? Yeah, yeah. But is she, is, she mor is she a moral character? Is she morally right? Is she 
what sort of person is she? Who is she? Who is she? It's very morally grey because she sees an opportunity to make a shit ton of money and she's like, I'm going to do it. But she's not killing anyone for it. She is, although she does get Ordell killed, um, she's similar to Bruce Willis. She's just playing the players. Yeah. She's not nec- She's not going into a bank and, and holding up a bank. She's actually just... Fucking con- over the bad guys. She's conning a con artist. So it doesn't necessarily make her better than them, but it doesn't make her as bad as them. <laughs> well, I think Quentin Tarantino sees her as being the, the purest character. Mm. He has her in white at the end. Oh, yeah, he does for the first time. Yeah. Because yeah. all the other times she's in sort of deep blue and black. Yeah. But then doesn't Robert De Niro wear white quite a lot in the film? No, he wears sort of like Dirty. shitty like <laughs> Hawaiian shirts and whatever. Yeah. I've just been in prison kind of clothes. Yeah, I just got out. I did my time. Is she the first fully formed female character in a Quentin Tarantino movie? She's the first one who gets a starring role. I think Mia was fully, fully formed in Pulp Fiction. We just didn't get to spend enough time with her. Jackie Brown, that's the thing. But when you actually get to that point at the end of the film when she's sitting there on the chair and she's saying, I'm going off to, to Spain, probably Madrid first. Yeah. You don't actually know any specific details about her life. All you know is that she's worked for this airline. She earns 16,000K a year with yeah, benefits and with pension, benefits. which is obviously shit. so proud about. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's shit. No, I think she, it's the, yeah. the point she's saying. Yeah. But I think that you don't know anything about her. We know she's worked this life. But do we need to know anything about her? No, because you've seen how she is in life. Yeah. You've, you've experienced life through her eyes. So you know that. You know, we've seen, um, we've seen that we've seen that she has depth and personality and she's flawed massively. Yeah. But she's got fight. Yeah. She's resilient. She's determined. She's street smart. Yeah. And she's, and she's not actually afraid of Ordell. No, she's not. He comes also, in with a gun and she's already got a gun. Yeah, she's thought ahead of... Because yeah. she's taken the gun out of Max's Cherry, car. Yeah. But she's got... She's fought for everything that she's got. Mm. You know, she might have a, a tiny apartment, but it's hers. She might have a record collection, but it's hers. Mm. You know, she's collected records the way that Quentin Tarantino has collected video tapes. <laughs> probably, or, or, record, or it's his, it's yeah. It's his record collection. But Mia hasn't worked for anything everything's been handed to her even being taken out for dinner she she hasn't mm. had to find anyone to take her out to dinner vince has been told you are taking mia out for dinner but mia still doesn't a... have to work for anything no but that just means she's entitled doesn't mean she's not a, a well-rounded character she still feels like a, a, a thought through character like entitlement like being privileged and being deep aren't different things Okay, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that, Joshua. <laughs> you win that one. You may not like the privilege, but <laughs> it doesn't make her any less of a character. But I think the point I'm... I'm like I'm, what... Um... I'm just... I'm, I think the point I'm trying to make is that Jackie Brown is way more real. She's, yeah. Because I keep saying this. This film doesn't take place in Quinton's universe. It's in ours. It's almost like he's come into our world to make a film. Yeah. What does... um. What does Mr. Wolf say to Raquel? Just because you're a character doesn't mean you have character. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that could apply to Mia. Mm. You have, you're a character. You may not have character. Good old Mr. Wolf selling Good his Mr. insurance. Wolf. <laughs> Getting in that car. I love when he's like, say goodbye, Raquel. Goodbye, Raquel. <laughs> <laughs> um, Classic. Why can't Max go with Jackie Brown at the end? 
because it's that same thing that's happened time and time again. Like, it's the same thing that happened in Lost in Translation. Two characters go through something together. It's a very specific moment in both of their lives, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have staying power. Like, if they went to Spain, they might discover they actually fucking hate each other. And maybe there's more to, like, not actually getting to be together. There's more to that, like the the emotion of it can't well, it, translate. In the case of saying, let's never come back to Tokyo, it'll never be yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought it was that I see Max as the, the purest character. He's the one who is on on the path of the righteous. Well, he's he, called Cherry for a start. Well, yeah, he obviously is he's a virgin. very virginal. But he, you know, a life of crime is not for him. That's dirty money that she's got. yeah. And, and he won't she, take it, will he? No, he won't. Well, he takes his cut. Mm. He takes his 10%. That's my cut. But he, you know, if she can do that to Odell, who she was working with or for, then what's to say somewhere down the line that she won't fuck him over? Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's like what um, thing he says, you can't trust Melanie, but you can always trust Melanie to be Melanie. It's yeah. almost the same thing applies to Jackie Brown. Like, because she'll always look out for number one. Yeah, you she's, can't trust her. She's potentially morally bankrupt, and he doesn't want his purity to be infected. Mm. Yeah, and he's got a good life by the looks of it, and maybe one day she will get caught, and they'll realize that five hundred thousand actually was in her hands. Potentially, yeah. I just love that bag switcheroo. It's so clever. <laughs> she's like, I put a cherry on top for you. It's like. You're going to be dead soon, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Robert Forster, he is always, always amazing. I've never seen him give a bad performance. Because this was seen as both his and Pam Grier's comeback. Comeback, yeah. But I don't really know what else he'd done. I know I recognise him from stuff. Oh, I know that he's done stuff since. You know, he's been in Twin Peaks, the third series. Uh... Um, He was in... (laughs) It's all gone out of my head. Um... Robinson. He was in Psycho. It was the end of the remake Mulholland of Psycho. Drive. Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Alligator. I don't think I've seen Alligator. Alligator was this like monster movie from 1980. And for some reason, my aunt had it on video and I used to watch it as a teenager, but it's fucking awful. <laughs> but Robert Forster's amazing. But it? he's in it. So that's he's obviously where he I know He plays the Alligator. From. He's brilliant. Yeah. Um, he does have quite a crocodile-like smile. When directors hit it big with a style... Mm. And then they try something new or they alter it. Is that change ever welcomed? Well, you'd like to think that they would tailor their style to the story, which clearly Tarantino does do. Even though there is the element, you know, the through line of this is Tarantino. Yeah. Kill Bill next is sensationally different in style and, and look to this. So. Well, the ones I, I, I wrote down, because they're the ones that came to mind. When Kubrick did 2001, that was a huge change in style. Mm. Up until that point, and he'd genre, been making... so that would make well, sense. Well, yeah, exactly. Up until that point, he'd been making 1950s, 1960s movies that were almost like the Chris Nolan of, of his time. Yeah. You know, he was at the forefront of these films, but 2001 was something completely different, and that was a thumbs up. Mm. Spielberg did The Colour Purple, Munich. and that was an absolute thumbs down. But then he did things like Schindler's List and Munich... Which yeah. are very stylistically different. There's no lens 10, flare. Twenty or, years you know, later, yeah. But in terms of the color purple, it just was not a welcome change. Mm. 
David Lynch did Dune. Oh, that yeah. was a thumbs down. But then he did The Straight Story. Yeah. And that was definitely a thumbs up. Even, even the two psychos, Hitchcock changed direction and did Psycho. It was down and dirty and, and not black as and grand and, and black and white. That was a thumbs up. But then mm. Gus Van Sant changed tack and did Psycho. And that was a thumbs down, yeah. seemingly. I like it. Not for you. George Lucas did the prequels. That was a whole other thing going on there, though. That was a man chasing technology. Then He didn't want to tell stories anymore. Potentially. I mean, he's always wanted to use technology to tell stories. Just look at his first film for that one, THX. Mm. Xavier Dolan did Tom at the Farm. Yeah. Sophia Coppola did Somewhere. Yeah. These are all people changing. Kevin Smith did Cop Out. Was Somewhere a change of... I I would say so. I think it was absolutely lost in translation, diluted. That's all that was. Well, maybe Marie Antoinette was a change. Yeah, direction, that was then. more, wasn't it? Either way, Period. it's a yeah, it's a big thumbs down. Mm. Is this a forgotten film in Quentin Tarantino's filmography? Well, no one really talks about Jackie Brown. Mm. I think that's what really surprised me when I because I really did enjoy it when I watched it the first time back whenever that was, but it just yeah, it does seem like the forgotten classic and it's almost like his louder films shout shout louder well whenever he's interviewed and they're introducing him it's always mm, pop fiction kill bill director yeah or whatever the new one is yeah jackie brown just seems to be this dirty little secret or or you know the dumb kid that no one ever talks about it's like how no when everyone talks about stephen king they don't talk about dolores claiborne and they don't talk about uh, you know, um, Rose Madder and, and books like that. But they that. barely talk about Stephen King anymore. Have you seen on the <laughs> Pet Cemetery oh, poster, yeah. it said, from the same writer as It. Yeah. Everyone knows who Stephen King is. Yeah. That's just fucking weird. I that, think because he's been oversaturated now. It just does not make any sense to me. The but, accident thesis that you introduced, saying that everything in the Quentin Tarantino film comes from an accident. Mm. What's the accident in this film? The cocaine in the bag. Is that an accident? Well, I don't know. Like, who's Mr. Walker? We never see him, do we? We have no idea who he is. Who's that? That's um, Ordell's boss. He's on the phone, Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker. Oh, well, maybe we don't need to see him. No, but I was just wondered if it was going to link back to, like, Pulp Fiction or someone like that. Who put the cocaine in the, in the packet? I can't remember. Well, it's never really explained, is no. it? Because you get the sense that maybe Ordell did it. But why would Odell do it? Uh, yeah. Because then Because I assumed the, he'd done it to be... get her caught, but then... But he could just, just kill her. Yeah. I don't know. That, that's Maybe the thesis it. here doesn't... No, because it is... It's not his story, essentially. It's, he's using the roadmap of a different story. Of who, Quentin Tarantino? Yeah. He's using the book. Yeah. Yeah. And the grammar, Quentin Tarantino grammar, there's not as much here as mm. the other films. Yes, there's crime... Yes, there's guns. There's Music. a camera in the car boot shot. Yeah. There's the N-word he used a lot. Yeah. And there's pop songs, but they're very... It's a very niche pop song uh, yeah. soundtrack. It's not like anything sticks out. It's like from, 70s funk, isn't it? Yeah. It, you know, apart from 110th Street by Bobby Womack, mm. there's not any other song that I'm aware of that really, really sticks out. There are new ones... Really cool um, one take shots mm-hmm. with lots of different movements. When Samuel L. Jackson gets Chris Tucker to go in the boot, then he drives the car around. 
comes back and the camera sort of goes up high and then the murder happens in the distance. Yeah. And also when Jackie Brown is coming out of the shop looking for Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all in one take. It's yeah. all on Jackie, all on Jackie Brown. And he has the, um, the really extreme close-ups that he does of like some of their faces. But then there are also those, those snap cuts, like the air, airplane door going from occupied to vacant. Mm-hmm. And Jackie Brown getting let into Ordell's apartment, like she buzzes and then all that, you know, extreme close-ups on the buzzer and then her face yeah. going, Jackie Brown, and going, <laughs> no, door yeah. opening and stuff, which is how the DVD menu opens. Um, yeah, that's, that's such a 90s, early 2000s thing. <laughs> I was like, wait, is this how the film? Oh, it's just the menu. <laughs> So that was Jackie Brown. Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown. Directed by Quentin Tarantino. Jacqueline Brown. Jacqueline Brown. Joshua, give yeah. us a clue. Jackie. Yeah, Jackie. Joshua, give us a clue as to what is coming next Oh, it's a double bill next week. A double... Double a whammy. double bill. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that wasn't even intentional. And I am going to double bill. <laughs> <laughs> Jump on to Apple Podcast, Acast, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio and subscribe so you don't miss that double bill. We're on Twitter at TornStopsPod. Let us know what you think of the Tarantino season so far and let us know your thoughts on Jackie Brown. We're off to watch chicks who love guns. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. But I knew there was a better way of life and I was just trying to find. You don't know what you do till you put under pressure. Across 110th Street is a hell of a tester. Across 110th Street, pimps try to catch a woman that's weak. Across 110th Street, pushers won't let the junkie go free. Across 110th Street, woman trying to catch a trick on the street. You can find
Yeah.